Ronasso. Ronasso. So this morning we turn to the culmination of the four measurables, equanimity. And as I've been reflecting on this morning, I remember very poignantly a response His Holiness Dalai Lama gave once. When the person addressing or posing the question simply acknowledged or pointed out that His Holiness has to be aware of a tremendous amount of suffering in the world, just generally, of course, but also very specifically for his own people. You know, uh, actually an inconceivable amount of suffering that's occurred over the decades, and some of it's continuing. Still more self-immolation is taking place. And he's the father of his people. They look to him like they look to no one else. He has a responsibility to the Tibetan people like he has to no one else, just like a father for his children, even though I'm completely convinced his compassion, his loving kindness is utterly equal. As a special responsibility to the Tibetan people. So, the, so with that awareness that His Holiness has to be uh, profoundly and empathetically aware of the great suffering of His own people, how does He manage? How does He manage to maintain this extraordinary sense of good cheer? The lightness, the buoyancy, the laughter, the sense of just the humor, the, the bubbling laughter that comes up so easily, almost with just a little a little flick, and then there it is. How is that possible? How is that possible? To be the leader of a people who has experienced a genocide, tremendous tragedy, inconceivable suffering, some of it still continuing, and so unnecessarily, because it's not to the advantage of the Chinese people, who are our brothers and sisters, and of course not to the advantage of the Tibetans, who suffered because of delusion. And his answer was very simple. Wisdom. It's just one word. Wisdom. How do you manage not to fall into just a, an abyss of despair and sadness? How is it you manage not to simply start crying and never stop? It's just one word. Wisdom. One word. So that's it. That's the solution. It comes back to a very core aphorism from the whole Mahayana tradition that wisdom without compassion, intelligence without compassion, is bondage. And compassion without wisdom is bondage. So true, so profoundly true. And just a little bit of, just a tiny bit of autobiographical, just a note. But when I first went to Dharamsala in 71 and I met Gishingan Taike, and then Geshe Rapten, and then Sekou Rinpoche, and Kumo Bashi, and of course His Holiness, uh, and again Losan Gyatso, and other teachers that I encountered, and Kusholati Rinpoche, and so on. Kyapchi Tijin Rinpoche. What I found there was a common, a very powerful common quality among all of them. Tremendous wisdom and tremendous compassion. There's not one of them I say, oh, he's very compassionate, but not so wise or like that, or this one's really smart, but not so compassionate. Not one. There was not one. The whole, it was all, you know, there's the mudra. You're cultivating one and the other, and they're unified. And I'd never seen that before. I just have to say. Not that I'd never met anybody who was smart and kind. Of course, we all have. But to this depth, I'd never seen it before. And here I see one after another after another. 
And these are the same, these are the lamas. I mean, they, they clearly they are the, the guiding lights for the whole community. These are the same ones. Geshe Ngan Taige, with his two disciples, Shaparamachi and Kamlantuku, when they escaped. I don't remember the exact numbers, but this, he was a, you know, he was a leader, Geshe Ngan Taige. He was a leader. And this is going to be hard to get through. So, pardon me, a little bit of emotion comes up. But... Uh, he, he gave me also his, his autobiography, much shorter than Geshe Raptan, but he told me his life story. And when, it's, when it became clear in 1959 that there was just no way to stay, no way to stay, then he and his two disciples, they, they started fleeing to the south. But then he's a leader, you know, he's a Geshe. He he's, wasn't a Geshe then, but an already accomplished scholar, a lama. And so people gathered around him the lay people, they would, they'll always look to their lamas for leadership. They've been doing that for a long, long time. And so I don't know how many it was, but after some time, it was a couple of hundred. If you look in the Tibetan tradition of mental development, that was the book, that was the Lamrim teachings that he gave. Those were my notes, edited and published, I think about eight editions by now or something like that. So his biography is in there. So they were heading south, fleeing for their lives. And it was a good number. And then they... What was it? I think they had to turn. Then they, they were blocked, and they had to turn north, just to try to get around. And then they headed south. And then at one point, he told me, they were surrounded. The whole group. They were all surrounded, and they were just being shot down. You know, like rabbits, rabbits in a in a pen. And among the group, of course, there are a lot of men, and they were not monks, and they're armed, so they're going to they're going to fight back. I mean, when you're being shot at, you know, by people who invaded your country, you're going to shoot back. So. There was this just big gun gunfight with Geshe Ngoi Taige and his two close disciples, and uh, and he turned to the two and he said, "This is really hard." He said, "We're about to die now." So direct your attention to the Chinese and develop compassion. Clearly they escaped. So this is the, the balance of wisdom and compassion. Good, I got through that without completely falling apart. I'm glad. So, what I'd like to do for the morning's meditation is go stepwise. And the first of the steps is going to be, basically, it's all very familiar. This is time for meditation, not hearing new things, having new things to think about, but more simply deeply familiarizing ourselves with the practice. So I'd like having subtle body, speech, and mind, and really this, I I love this mudra, frankly, I'm I'm quite attached to it. Stick around, kid, I want you. (laughs) <laughs> when I was a kid, I always had to go to Sunday school, ever since I could remember. And it was, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. It was so sweet. So now it's a different light, but basically the same thing. Right? They were teaching Dzogchen even when I was a kid. Yeah. So, 
having settled body, speech, and mind, we go to mindfulness of breathing, and I suggest we go this way, resting awareness in its own nature, and simply like a candle flame, letting it illuminate a space. But I'm going to choose again my words very carefully. Don't focus on your body. Don't focus on your breath. Just let this light of your awareness illuminate the space and illuminate whatever arises within that space, but with a special interest in these, call it fluctuations, vibrations, undulations within the space that other people call the body. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you all know what I'm talking about, right? You all know what I'm talking about. You don't have to visualize the body. You don't have to think body. You don't have to designate body. And I suggest you don't. You remember that phrase, that phrase to bahia, in the, felt, let be, in the felt, let there be just the felt. In other words, without imagining what's going on, without labeling what's going on, conceptually designating and then reifying, this is my body, it's breathing, now the breath is long, now the breath is short, cut the chatter. You know? If you put the chocolate in your mouth, you know before you say anything, whether it's dark chocolate or sweet chocolate. You don't need to talk about it. You already know before the talk begins. right? And so likewise, these... In, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just attend to that. Because you'll note, if you didn't know what I'm talking about, if you, hadn't, if you don't have the experience yourself, then if I say, okay, now just rest your awareness in its own nature and simply let it illuminate the somatic field and attend to the the undulations, the, the ripples occurring within that field. If you didn't have that experience, say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, what's that? I mean, the space and undulations of the field. Have you watched too many Star Trek movies? You know, what, what's that supposed to be about? You know? And as it turns out, really, the experience there is, in fact, inexpressible. Right? Write a book about it. But if the, person doesn't know if the person hasn't had the taste, then you can write a thousand pages on it, and they still won't know what you're talking about. They'll be thinking of parallels in modern physics and quantum field theory, and all, all configurations of mass energy consist of, of, how do you say, configurations of the energy of an empty space, give nice analogies from physics and so forth, but it's all a head trip. You know, it's all in their minds, whereas this is all in space. So go there. Go there. But now that we know what we're talking about, then a few words, okay? Just rest your awareness in its own space, in its own nature, illuminate the space of your awareness, and, and just be aware of the undulations corresponding to those ripples, those vibrations, fluctuations in the field. But again, those are all you know, physics terms. But you know what they refer to because you've had the experience. Otherwise, if they say fluctuations in the field, they say, what, what kind? Electromagnetic, thermal, gravitational, what? You know, I'm like, well, none of the above. And so the point here is, release even the concept and release any image of body. In the felt, let it be just the felt. Just take it nakedly, without the overlays upon overlays, the language, the labeling, and then the reification. And then, of course, the identification. So that's what we're cutting through here. That's what we're really cutting through. Remember what is the root of suffering in this foundational Buddhism, the root of suffering of pervasive existential suffering. This closely, closely holding on to, grasping on to, identifying with 
my body. Look in the mirror, oh no, my body, I've got a pimple, or I've got a, I've got, oh, I've got, oh my, oh, I'm age spots, liver spots, oh my goodness, what can I do about that? Liver spots, yuck. Ugh, my hands, my hands, they're getting old. I think they're aging as I'm looking at them. They're disgusting. You know, my body, my body. So much suffering comes from that. And so just release any notion of my body, any concept, any label, any visualization. Release it and simply be aware of that which is immediately felt. We can call it a space with fluctuations in the field. And in so doing, by releasing even the idea, the image and the label of body, then we are releasing gently the identification with the body. You know? I think I gave this example to Patrice some time ago, because she's a nurse, but if a person is kind of freaking out and they seize onto something, like, like they're terrified, they're having like in shock, they're seizing onto something, and then the nurse, the healer comes and says, you know, you can let go now. The danger's over. You can, you can let go now. Really, you can. Let's do it finger by finger. Yeah. Trust me, it's okay. That if you release, it will be okay. It's over. Yeah? Like that. For the body. We don't need to grasp. It'll be okay. We'll not be annihilated. We'll not be disoriented. We'll not be bewildered. So we'll do that for a little while as an antidote to closely holding on to and grasping, identifying with the body. And then we'll spend a little time turning the, the light of awareness to the space that we call, normally, the space of the mind. But then forget the words, because you know what to attend to. You don't need the space of the mind. That's the space of the mind. There it is, right there, space of the mind, space of the mind. You don't need that. You've already done it. So just turn your awareness to that. And then whatever comes up, you don't need to be thinking, that's a thought, that's an image, that's a memory, that's a fantasy, a desire, emotion, got it, got it, got it. You don't need to do that. Release it all, quietly. Like, like you're gently putting your, your finger over your mental lips. Hush now. You don't need to say anything. Just be aware of what's coming up. And then just be aware of it. And once again, it's just the same in principle. It's just more fluctuations in a field. Just perturbations of the field, you know. And it's not a field there or there, it's simply the field. It's space. It's just space. And release the notion of mind. Mind. Release the notion of thoughts and images, memories, desires and emotions. Release all the, release all the concepts. And as Ledup Lingba says, observe whatever's arising non-conceptually. So concepts arise, observe them non-conceptually. And in so doing, then you have a fast track. This is Dzogchen Shamatha, most commonly taught in the Dzogchen treatises that I've been taught, the manuals, meditation manuals, as a prelude to, to Dzogchen practice. Tekchut, the cutting through, is this taking the mind as the path and being present there, utterly still, utterly loose, doing nothing, but not practicing open presence, not aware of all of the senses. We're not there yet. We're not quite ready. We need to achieve Shamatha first. So we're going to be selective. We're focusing on that one domain. But now whatever comes up, just let it arise and pass of its own accord. And again, the core theme there, so crucial, the crucial element, is not yet whether you're reifying it or not. It's tough to overcome reification. The tendency 
The habit is really deeply ingrained. But there's something a bit easier than that. The identification with as I or mine. That's coarser. So for example, a cell phone. It is, after all, just a cell phone. Right? This is pretty much exactly, apart from the stuff I put on it, this is like pretty much like every other one of the millions they made like this one. right? So clearly, there's just nothing about that. If you look into it, just apart from the information that's loaded on it, and that can always be taken off in a matter of minutes, and then it's just a denuded, anonymous cell phone once again, um, that there's nothing about it that's mine. Nothing whatsoever. And it's not actually not mine, but it belongs to the Santa Barbara Institute, so it's not even mine. You know, I just get to use it. And so, to having that sense that, really, this cell phone is no more mine than this, than this chair. This chair is for me to use while I'm here, and then when I end, that's it. When I'm not here, there's just no notion of it all. It'll be my chair at all. And at some point, there'll be no notion at all. It's just going to be lifted that this is my cell phone. And the more we lift it, the less we suffer from this unnecessary identification with my cell phone, my body, my thoughts, my memories, my emotions. They are just what they are. And the mentally perceived, let there be just the mentally perceived. They're just emotions. They have no owner. Neither the joys nor the sorrows, the hopes or the fears. They're simply arising in space, dissolving back into space. And so there it is. There's some of the deeper meaning of mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> that lovely little simple phrase, mindfulness of breathing. And taking the mind as the path, which means you're not identifying with it, which means you're releasing it, which means that, as Lerap Lingba once again says, you'll come to this intuitive certainty that nothing can harm your mind, which is to really say nothing can harm you. You cannot be harmed, regardless of whether or not thoughts have ceased, regardless of whether or not images, memories, and emotions, and so forth have ceased, regardless. And why? One simple reason. Not grasping. Not grasping. You know. As soon as it's grasping, which is saying, Please, I want to suffer more. I don't have enough suffering. Uh, this tile right here, that's, that's my tile. That's my tile. And now if somebody spits on it, I say, oh, that's so insulting. How can you do that? You spat on my tile. This is B. Allen Wallace. Do you know I published 40 books? What are you spitting on my tile for? For heaven's sake, this is... I'm going to write to your dad. <laughs> you know. You can really start suffering. All you have to do is say, that's my tile. And then come step on it. You're stepping on my tail. No, that's a special tile. That one has, should have flowers around it, you know, and etc. You know, don't step on my tile. It doesn't matter what it is. My country, my tile, my fingernails, anything. As soon as it's mine, oh, I, I want to suffer more. Look, reality hasn't suffered, dished up enough suffering yet. I'd like some more. Um, yeah. Daniel's my student. And now I'm not ready to suffer. Right? Whatever happens, I, now I can suffer with respect to Daniel. Because he's my student. My student. So there it is. This is a shortcut. This is a shamatha approach to really cutting through this identification with body and mind that allows us to be free, at ease, releasing the tentacles of grasping. But now this morning is for equanimity. As we release the identification with the body, release the identification with the mind, and eventually we can go even deeper, even release the identification with awareness itself, 
which is like identifying with a, a crystal clear, sparkling stream of water, my stream. You know, do that, of course, we can identify with anything. As we release the identification with everything that we've identified with, that is, surroundings, my students, my table, my chair, my stuff, whatever, whatever. As we release all of that, and that's just part and parcel of going into shamatha practice, and then we release the identification with the grasping onto the body, then do the same with the mind, do the same as much as we can, even with awareness itself. It is, after all, just awareness. In awareness, let there be just awareness. Then there's really not much of you left. You kind of vanish. like the, the Cheshire cat. Isn't it the Cheshire cat that disappears and leaves only its grin behind? That sense of presence that I'm, well, I'm still here. I can't quite find myself, but I'm still here. Then we go to equanimity. And here's where we see the real majesty. I mean, that's the best word I can find. The real majesty, the power the awesomeness, really. I'm not exaggerating anything here. In this balance of wisdom and of compassion. Because as we, as much as we possibly can, release all identification with everything here, everything from this side, everything where I am. I'm here, right? Well, everything is here. Release all identification with it. Body, feelings, mental formations, perceptions or discernments, consciousness, Release, release, release. And having done so, kind of emptied out, emptied out. Then, as we venture into the practice of equanimity, then we're attending not to the space of our minds, but by way of the space of our minds. We're attending to other sentient beings, right? So we're going to have a very smooth transition from settling the mind to its natural state, where we're simply observing the images and so forth arising in our own substrate, right? to then looking through the substrate like through, through a, like, like through a glass and looking out onto the world of sentient beings who are not simply arising, actually no sentient being is arising in my substrate. Appearances do, images, thoughts, and so forth, but they're not sentient beings, right? Emerson is a sentient being. She does not exist in my substrate. Right? She over there. Appearances, as I am gazing at Emerson, appearances, sure, but appearances of Emerson are not Emerson. That should be obvious, right? But then as we just rest, and having settled for a little while, settled the mind in its natural state, gotten into that mode, the stillness of awareness, the movement of thoughts, images, and so forth, then we'll switch. And we'll maintain that same view. We'll look at the same cinema. Cinema number six. The space of the mind. Space of mental awareness, right? Not the visual and so forth. But then when an image comes in, of someone, some collective, animals, human beings, and so forth, as they come in, then by way of that image, which of course is arising in the substrate, by way of that image, then we attend to Hosanna, we attend to Fran, we attend to Shane, whoever it may be, you know, to the sentient being, the sentient being. And then we know this sentient being is as empty as I am, no less, and yet just as real as I am causally efficacious. Experiences joys and sorrows just like I do. Hopes and fears just like I do. Physical pain, mental pain. Physical bliss, mental bliss. Just like me. So now what we're doing here 
in this balance is we're identifying with. We are identifying with. We're being really sneaky. As whoever it is comes to mind, whoever it is, individual, we attend to them closely. Attend to them closely. And we identify with them. We identify with them. All sentient beings, all sentient beings have been our mother. You're my mother. You're my father, my brother, sister, my husband, my wife. You're my friend. You're mine. Because that's what they say. All sentient beings have been mine. Not somebody's mother. Somebody's father. All sentient beings have been my mother, my father, my, my. Right. But now we do it not just for one's own biological parents, of course, or for what people of one's ethnic group, or etc., etc., or even of one's own species. Now, this is equanimity, the great alluvial plane of all sentient beings fundamentally equal in the sense of at some point or another having been our mothers or fathers and absolutely equal in the sense of each one equally has Buddha nature. That essential purity, that potential for perfect awakening. And so we attend to each one as if that person were ourselves, we identify with, as if identifying with oneself, and we'll practice Dongnan. And I invite you in that kind of spirit of equanimity, don't be selective. Don't choose this person, okay, now it's your turn, and now it's your turn, and now it's your turn. Don't be selective. Just trust. Whatever's going to come up, it'll be fine. As Genlo Sangyatso, wonderful thing. It's, I think, the most memorable thing he ever told me. He was, he was the abbot of the monas- first monastery I ever entered into. The Institute of Buddhist Dialectics. Marvelous teacher. Maybe I said this again in this retreat. It's where it bears repeating. I don't think you remember everything I said, right? Uh, but I asked him. I was a very young monk, like 23, studying really hard, like all the other monks in the monastery. But this phrase, all sentient beings, all sentient beings, comes up all the time. Not all human beings. You never even see that. Or like all of humanity, which comes up so strongly in the West, the Judeo-Christian and Greco-Roman, all humanity, all humanity, never comes up. It's always all sentient beings. Every single time, it's all sentient beings. And I, I went to Genla Sangasu just one-on-one. And I said, Genla, I'm trying to wrap my mind about that in a practical way that actually means something, that I can really use in meditation. I can't do it. Because, oh, you know, I, like any of us. And, and, and in this monastery, all of the monks, it was, it was a monastery specifically created by His Holiness Dalai Lama, primarily for young Tibetans, who already had some education, at least high school education. So they're not eight-year-olds. These were all more or less my age. I was 20, 23 when I entered the monastery. The other ones were 18, 19, 20, 21, right in that area. We're all young men. And all of us had had some education. So this one that Holdings wanted to make sure that... Well, when, I, when I told this Holdings I wanted to ordain and wanted to go to Seda, because I just finished hearing Gisha Raptan's life story, I said, I want that. That education I want. And so I went to His Holiness and said, I, we just finished this. And he, he and told Geshe Rapnan that he should tell me his life story. Well, I got inspired. And so then I, I sought out His Holiness again by now. He's, of course, my root lama. And I said, well, that education that Geshe Rapnan received, I'd like to receive that. So shall I go to Sera? And I don't remember exactly what he said, but I can tell you in the gist of it. He said, if you don't go down there, and I'm like 22 at the time, you'll be entering into a class with 10-year-olds who have no education at all, that may not be a good fit. 
not quite his words, but that definitely is the meaning. So he said, well, wait a bit, wait a bit, I'm creating a monastery uh, that would be suitable. And it opened just months later, just in time. You know. so, so I asked him, how do I make that practical? I made a, a short story quite long, but here was his answer. All sentient beings? All sentient beings simply refers to everyone you meet or who comes to mind. That's a, you know, like when they do polls, it just struck me right now, but they, they do polls all the time, right? Polls. So you, you want, like when they were doing those polls about how many Scots wanted to separate from the UK. Well, they wouldn't interview, they wouldn't poll a million Scots. There's only, I think, 5.4 million of them. They didn't poll, they never polled a million Scots or even 100,000 Scots. They'd poll 1,000 Scots. But these are professional pollers, so they would make sure they had a, a good distribution and each one would be representative of a lot more people. So standard polling technique, right? But by polling 1,000, they said, all right, now we've attended to all the people of Scotland. Because those 1,000 are representing all the rest of them. So likewise, if you let your awareness be just wide open, not selective, not wanting to invite nice people in or one you find pleasant, or etc., just like that, then those who come to mind, that's all sentient beings. That's all sentient beings. And if you can then practice Donglen equally, with those who arise, they arise in the space of your mind, you see the appearance, by way of the appearance, you attend to the sentient being, you linger there, for the moment, what we attend to becomes reality. We'll let the reality of that other person come to mind. Don't worry for time right now about reifying them. We'll get to that. Time being, just attend to them. Have that sense of identification, that sense of kinship, the sense that you too are mine, you're my kin, you're my family, family member, right? And then practice Dong Len. So as we, as we empty ourselves out through wisdom, we fill ourselves back up with compassion. And that's how we handle it. That's how we handle it. Oh, Dharma's so good. I just feel so privileged that I could get to talk about it. You know, so good. So let's start our practice. Thank 
어두간도 만물걸 개기 제수 나뚜기 진길납치 식수수 무릎배마시리홍 홍어기 육기눕찬산 배마예사 돈모라 얌생 조기 무듭예 빼마 주네 시수라 거두간도 만들고 개기 제수 다두기 진길락치 식수수 무릎에나 Switch to switch postures. Do so now.
Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural state. central theme here is equipoise, so similar to equanimity, the sense of balance between an ever-deepening sense of ease, of relaxation, of looseness that stems from the freedom from grasping, united with an ever-increasing sense of clarity, vividness, luminosity. There's the balance we'll carry through all the way along the path. The sense of ease and the clarity, united, integrated. For a little while, nurture and sustain that sense of ease and clarity from the stillness of your own awareness, illuminating the space and the fluctuations within the space corresponding to what we call breathing. Maintain the flow of cognizance, but without mental talking, without conceptualization. Simply note the duration of each in and out breath, in terms of these fluctuations.
and turn the light of your awareness to what we call the space of the mind. Settle your mind in its natural state. With this fusion, the simultaneity of the awareness of the stillness of your awareness and the movements of the mind.
Now let's shift into the meditative cultivation of equanimity. As described before, without directing your attention here or there within the space of the mind, let your awareness remain still and simply see who comes to mind. Attend as in the sense of looking after, watching over, caring for, tending to. Tend to whoever comes to mind until they become real for you, as real as yourself. As you attend to their joys and sorrows, their hopes and fears. And then as you would for yourself, practice Donglen, breathing out your love, breathing in with compassion.
then you may simply expand the space of your awareness in all directions without borders, without boundaries. With each in-breath, you may draw in the light of all the enlightened ones, converting it upon your body, upon your heart, calling upon the blessings. And with each out-breath, breathe out this light of loving-kindness and compassion in all directions, embracing all such a being. Imagine each one finding the serenity, the calm of freedom from craving and aversion, and abiding in equanimity. And release all appearances and all aspirations and let your awareness rest in its own nature. The interviews this morning will be just five minutes late, so starting at about three minutes. Enjoy your day.